Hi, this is Sunny, and this is a Sunny Look at the Bible. So we are in Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to read. The chapters are super short we're going through today, so I'm going to read each chapter so you can read along with me. The version I'm in is uh, New Living Translation, Translation, New Living Translation, but you can be in any. Chapter 4 of Revelation. Then as I looked, John speaking, the author of the book, then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit. I'll unpack every portion of this trust me. And I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like Jasper and Carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. I kind of thought of uh, Oz from the Wizard of Oz. Is that bad? Uh, okay. 24 thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. That kind of reminded me of white out at De Pere High School football games. They were white. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder, and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. Again, I, I picture like a moat. <laughs> uh, in the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back totally gross. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face and the fourth like an eagle in flight. Circle those three or those four because we're going to go back and look at each of those. Each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for your... You created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Now I'm going to unpack each portion of four. That's confusing because most of it was. 4-1, and I want to point out in both chapters 4 and 5, it's recording glimpses of Jesus' glory. Here we see the throne room of heaven. So that's where John is transported in his vision. God is on the throne, and he is orchestrating all these events that John will go ahead and record that we're reading. The world is not spinning out of control. The God of creation will carry out the plans as Jesus initiates the final battle and the forces of evil. John shows us heaven before showing us earth so that we will not be frightened by future events. He is talking about a future in these verses. So 4.1 is saying that the voice John had heard that sounded like a trumpet blast was the voice of Jesus. Remember in chapter one, we said his voice was like a trumpet, but even when he comes back and it says the trumpet will sound. It is, we will know it sounds like a trumpet, like a loud, but it's going to be deafening, but not painful. And we will know it is the voice of Jesus. 4-2. Four times in the book of Revelation, John says he was in the Spirit. We've already seen that in chapter 1. This expression means that the Holy Spirit was giving him a vision, showing him situations and events he could not have seen with mere human eyesight. All true prophecy from, comes from God and the Holy Spirit. My lips will start working. Okay. 
Verse four, who are these 24 elders? I really wanted to know this. Like I was, I was like, we got to dig into this. So I, I dug into that. They were the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. I just talked about uh, before everybody joined me that uh Jacob, the life of Jacob is a study I did because I am fascinated by the 12 tribes of Israel because that exists in our history today. Portions of the country still hold the name of one of the sons of Jacob and the tribes. And like we have states in the United States, Israel was divided by sections of land named after the the son of Jacob and then all of his descendants lived there. So he had a son named Reuben. Uh, he had a son named Dan. He had a son named Judah. So portions of Israel were named after them. There was not a place named Joseph. Uh, that was that was one son that he actually, his, his land or the area of his descendants was named after one of his sons rather than Joseph. It wasn't Joseph, it was his son. So anyway, it's saying that those of the 24 elders that John has seen in heaven, 12 are those, are those tribe. Um, members, those tribe leaders. Then the next 12 come from the New Testament. So it's super cool. It's showing that 12 of those elders came from the Old Testament and 12 come from the New Testament. And those 12 were uh, the apostles. And so then I also looked up, okay, what's the difference between a disciple and an apostle? Because I think that can be confusing. Okay, you can be a disciple without being an apostle, but you can't be an apostle without being a disciple. Let me explain. A disciple followed Jesus. A disciple learned the ways of Jesus. So even though there were a couple apostles after Jesus died, uh, like Matthias, he took over when Judas betrayed Jesus. So Judas was one of the 12 disciples. Judas betrays Jesus, he goes and commits suicide. And so the disciples say, who should we vote in? So the disciples, by throwing lots, it was kind of like throwing dice. They obviously, they picked among a few people they wanted, and then they threw dice on, okay, which of these good candidates do we take? And Matthias was the one that they had become one of the apostles. So the disciples turned into apostles because apostles go and share about Jesus. So disciples learn from Jesus then their name changes to apostles when they're told to go and to tell people about Jesus. So you can be a disciple and then never go tell people. Some of the disciples maybe didn't have as big of a ministry as other disciples, but going and being apostles is going and telling of Jesus. But you can't go and be an apostle if you were never, uh, you never learned from Jesus. So anyway, the 12, most of those crossed over from being called. So when you hear somebody say, you know, the 12 disciples, you know, the 12 apostles, now you know. Okay, so what this symbolizes that there's 24 elders is that both Jews and Gentiles are now a part of God's family because uh, some of those people were Gentiles that became apostles. Okay, four, five. In Revelation, lightning and thunder are connected with significant, significant events in heaven. They remind us of the lightning and thunder at Mount Sinai when God gave his, the people his laws. And this is in Exodus 19.16. The Old Testament often uses such imagery to reflect God's power and majesty. So... Lightning and thunder. When we, you know, when we're little kids and we're like, is that God talking to us? Or is rain the tears of angels? You know, I mean, those are all fun little silly things we say. But truly, uh, lightning and thunder are to remind us. And back then it was imagery of how big God is. 
Also in verse 5, the sevenfold Spirit of God is another name for the Holy Spirit. So let's look back at that. From the throne comes flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder, and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold Spirit of God. So when we see sevenfold Spirit of God, it's referring to the Holy Spirit. Okay, for six, glass was very rare in New Testament times and crystal clear glass was virtually impossible to find. The sea of glass highlights the most magnificence and holiness of God. In verse six and seven, just as the Holy Spirit is seen symbolically in the seven lighted lamps, so the four living beings represent the attributes or the qualities and character of God. These creatures were not real animals like the cherubim, the highest order of the angels. They guard God's throne, lead others in worship, and reclaim God's holiness. God's attributes symbolized in the animal-like appearance of these four creatures are majesty and power. Now I want to go through each of those. I told you to circle them. The lion is majesty and power. Faithfulness is the ox. Intelligence is the human, and so sovereignty is the eagle. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel saw four similar creatures, and in a second, we're going to turn over to Ezekiel. But I want to say that again if you're taking notes. The lion is the majesty and power. That's the character of God. Faithfulness, that's the ox. That's our characteristic of God. I love that the human is intelligence because we now know that instead of calling it even creation, we say intelligent design is how we see how we were created. It took an intelligent design to make us as complex as we are. And then sovereignty is the eagle. Lastly, in chapter 9 and 11, let me unpack that before we move over to Ezekiel to look at those four beings again. John describes these scenes in verse 9 in such detail because Christians in the first century came from many backgrounds. Not all of them understood Jewish history and knew the glory of the temple. Revelation instructs us in worship. It shows us where, why, and how to praise God. That's the part where it's saying holy, holy, holy. Uh, Revelations instructs that worship takes our minds off of our problems and focuses them on God. Worship leads us from individual meditation to corporate worship. It said that it said that so many look at how many it said. Uh, does it say in this version? Uh, it was in another version. It says there were hundreds of thousands uh, worshiping, and I don't see it in this version. But your version may have said that that it's about so many worshiping God together. And then verse 11, the point of this chapter chapter is all summed up in this verse, verse 11. And it says, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you please. So it's wrapping it up saying all creatures in heaven and earth will praise and honor God because he is the creator and sustainer of everything. This is future. This is what we'll do. I want us to turn over to Ezekiel 1, 5, because I want to look at these creatures again, because I think they're the creepiest, weirdest part of chapter 4. It says in Ezekiel 1, it, uh, 4, it says, as I looked, this is Ezekiel, I saw a great storm coming from the north. There you go, thunder and lightning again, driving before it a huge crowd and flashed with lightning and shone with brilliant light. There was a fire inside the cloud and in the middle of the fire glowed something like gleaming amber. From the center of the cloud, there were four living beings and that looked human, except that each had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight and their feet had hooves like those of a calf and shone like burnished bronze. Okay. What I want to re remind you is in Revelation chapter 1 or 2, it talked about God's feet 
were burnished bronze, which is uh, representing that he is in control to basically stomp out anything that comes against us. Okay, verse eight, under each of the four wings, I could see human hands. So each of the four beings had four faces and four wings. Now the other one said six wings in Revelation. The wings of each living being touch the wings of the beings beside it. Each one moves straight forward in any direction without turning around. Okay. Now, I just want to point out that each of the four beings had four faces, symbolizing God's perfect nature. Some believe that the lion represented the strength, the ox, diligent service, the human intelligence, and the eagle divinity. So I like how in Ezekiel and how they unpacked that and translated it, they gave yet another attribute of God's character to each of those animals. Others see these as the most majestic of God's creatures and say that they therefore represented God's whole creation. The early church fathers saw a connection between these beings and the four gospels. Now look at this, and this is awesome if you're taking notes. The uh, Connecting the gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that the lion was connected with Matthew, presenting Christ as the Lion of Judah. So Matthew in the New Testament talks about Jesus as the Lion of Judah. So if you're connecting dots, Lion, Matthew. The ox is connected with the book of Mark because Mark portrayed Jesus as the servant. The human is connected with Luke because he portrays Jesus as the perfect human. Then the eagles connected with the book of John, portraying Christ as the son of God, exalted and divine. The vision of John in Revelation 4 parallels both Ezekiel's vision I'm just talking about and how cool that it connects to the four gospels. I just love this. How uh, connected is all of this, right? I also want to point out, and I'm not going to read it, but you could also go to Isaiah 6, 6, because it says, holy, holy, holy in that verse as well. And so this is throughout the Bible that it's showing us we're going to worship God in that way with others, probably with winged creatures, or maybe that's representing it until we get there and we fulfill the end of all of this. And it's just all of the angels, all of the counsel of God, and all of the human beings that are with him are worshiping together in one voice. And I promise we will be singing holy, holy, holy. Let's move on to chapter five. Chapter five, verse one. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, but it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. I wanna stop right there. Verse three is being very clear that no one in heaven so none of the angels, because there is there are angels, there's a heavenly council. That's a whole study on its own. I'm reading a book on angels. It's so deep, so deep that I can only read one page a day to comprehend it. Anyway, so no one in heaven, because there's angels, there's archangels, there's heavenly council. They're not able to open it. No one on earth. So no pastor, no prophet, no bishop, nobody who's like, oh, I have this word. Nope you don't get to open it and tell us things other people don't know about the end times. And it says, and no one under the earth. Okay, that's referring to Satan and his demons. So even though he has a lot of power, he doesn't know either. Love that. 
Verse four, then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 old elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit. Oh, so this slaughtered lamb now has seven horns and seven eyes. Remember, there's significance in seven and the sevenfold spirit uh, was, was with him. Okay, so what it's saying is that he is one with the Holy Spirit. Three in one, God, Jesus, who's being represented as the Lamb. The sevenfold, again, we talked about that Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit and of God that is sent out into every part of the earth because the Holy Spirit is with us today. We know Jesus isn't on earth today. We know God is sovereign and big and we don't like roam around with God. But the Holy Spirit, and this is saying this, is sent out on in every part of the earth now, we have the Holy Spirit. That's how we have conviction. Whether we're a Jesus person or not, we know right and wrong. We have conviction. The Holy Spirit brings this conviction. Later on in Revelation, you'll learn more about this. And there's other parts of the Bible where it says the Spirit left. The Spirit lifted himself. And that's the scariest place to be. When you have denied uh, the conviction and the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit so long that eventually he lifts his spirit. Very scary place to be. Okay, verse 7. And he stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words. Now, I, I want to pause. The gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. There's another part in the Bible that talks about every tear we shed are held by the angels, that they're keep they're keeping track. So I think it's interesting. I mean, they use the word incense, not that the bowls will, were filled with tears, but that it's that kind of crosses over that our, our tears are not gone unseen or wasted and that they probably come from our prayers. So it's cool connection there. Now this is what, uh, and they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you have you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels. Okay, this is where I was looking for earlier. Thousands and millions of angels around the throne. And of the living beings and the elders. And they saying in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who's been slaughtered. I'm not going to read through all that. It's a song that they sang. Super cool. Let me just show you real quick in five verse one. In John's day, books were written on scrolls. And I want to tell you, these would have been pieces of papyrus or vellum about 30 feet long. So when this scroll is opened, it's not like it's just, it's just open and it's eight and a half by 11. 30 feet long is being revealed as each seal is broken and it's unrolled. The scroll that John sees contains the full account of what God has in store for the world. The seven seals indicate the importance of its contents. The seals are located throughout the scroll scroll so that as each one is broken, more of the scroll can be read or reveal another phase of God's plan for the end of the world. Okay, let me break down a little further chapter five. 
So in God's hands is a scroll. It's closed with seven seals. Each are symbolizing the seals of the Old Testament prophets and Daniel's vision. Okay, their message was all about how God's kingdom would come here on earth as in heaven. However, no one is qualified to open it. And that's what John hears is no one's qualified. So then one of the el one of the angel, it says the angel said, why are you crying? Stop crying. There's someone who can open the scroll. What John hears or thinks it's go it's going to be is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He hears that from the angel and he knows the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, like, yeah, big old, a big old um, military conqueror. And, and yet again, it's not saying Jesus is going to come back as a big military conqueror. It's, it's what John hears and what they always thought is that the Messiah would come back and would be a military conqueror. In fact, Orthodox Jews are still waiting on a military conqueror because they know right now that like the Temple Mount is controlled by um, a mosque. It's not even controlled by the Jewish people. And so they're waiting still for someone to break out in war against those who are against uh, their beliefs. But John hears what he'd always heard. There's going to be a conqueror, but then he turns and he sees not a roaring lion, but this bloody lamb who was sacrificed, but is now alive again. So why did God give us visions? Why did he give John visions? Why does he give us dreams and visions? And it's because I wrote this earlier. Sometimes if we hear from God, we put it through the filter of our context, our background, our small thinking. Even after seeing Jesus come and die and resurrect, John had seen all that. He'd been with him since probably 13 years old. Even though John knew he won by being a slaughtered, humble sacrificial lamb. John's still thinking of him when he hears about this, that he's going to be this big lion of Judah. But when he turns, he sees in his vision, it's still a humble lamb. The lamb is standing there and it says that the lamb is ready to open the scroll. So contact, for context and review, the reason that he's a lamb is because lambs were the blood sacrifice to gain forgiveness. Each person or representative of a family had to come and they had to sacrifice a lamb for the sins of them and their family. So a lot of sheep died. But then Jesus comes and he is the major sacrificial lamb. So we never need to sacrifice. Yet again, this is how we are to... Uh, Sorry, it's saying connection available. I hope that wasn't slow. Uh, so Jesus is the lamb. And so here are, these verses are giving us a picture of three different things I want you to write down. He is the only one, Jesus, that can show us what's on the scroll or what's to come. Not our own efforts, not our own training, not the research I can do, not a prophet, not some guy who's going to write a book like the Da Vinci Code or the Harbinger. Only Jesus will reveal it. And the and Revelation says no one will know the time, the day, or the hour. Number two, this is saying that he, Jesus, can reveal all of this when he chooses to open each seal, each scroll, and he is the one to guide history to its conclusion. Again, don't be looking for a prophet to proclaim or give us notice of it is the end. Number three, this chapter is saying that there's three sets of divine judgments and they're not literal sequence of events. I love how the Bible Project put this in their video. They said it's like nesting dolls. The seven bowls come out of the seventh trumpet and the seventh seal and the seven trumpets come out of the seventh seal and each seven contains seven. So it's not like we have to get through these first seven then these first seven and then these first and then we know when we get through those 
those seven times three, what is that, 21? How do I not know that? That's bad. Um, that when we get through those, oh, then the end times. No, it's actually, they're like nesting dolls. You know what I'm talking about? The little dolls come out of the little dolls. Uh, so they're, they're not in sequential order. Okay, we're now going to go to chapter 6. And so turn to chapter 6. Again, another short chapter, but you're going to see four horses that are very significant for us to understand. Chapter 6, verse 1. As I watched the lamb broke the first... As I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings saying with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being saying, Come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth, and there was war and slaughter everywhere. When the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being saying, Come. I looked up and I saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will come cost a day's pay and don't waste the olive oil and wine. We'll talk about that in a minute because we're right now with the pandemic in what looks like we're heading towards not just a recession, but maybe a depression. And uh, you'll hear people say, uh, talk about the end times, a bag of bread can only be bought by a bag of gold. So I'll unpack that in a minute. Verse seven, then the lamb broke the fourth seal. I heard the fourth living being say, come. I looked up and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named death and to his and his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. Some versions say blood all around the altar for those who have died uh, as martyrs. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? That's the martyrs asking. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, were to be martyred and had joined them. Wow. Okay. 12. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a shaken tree by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll. Have you heard that, that hymn? And the sky be rolled back as a scroll, you know, um, it, that's in It Is Well With My Soul. And the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains and they cried to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us meaning kill us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to survive all right let's unpack that verse by verse Verse one, this is the first of three seven-part judgments. The trumpets in chapters eight and nine, the bulls, chapter 16, and the, and the, are the other two. As each seal is opened, Jesus, the lamb, sets in motion events that will bring about the end of human history. The scroll is not completely open until the seventh seal is broken. The contents of the scroll reveal humanity's depravity and portray God's authority over the events of history. Verse two, let's look at the four horses. 
the four horses appear as the first four seals are opened. The horses represent God's judgment of people's sin and rebellion. God is directing human history, even using his enemies to accomplish his purposes. The four horses are a foretaste of the final judgments yet to come. Some view this chapter as a parallel uh, to Matthew 24. The imagery of four horses is also found in Zechariah 6, 1 through 8, if you want to look at that too. Now, 2 through 8. Each of the four horses is a different color. Some assume that the white horse represents victory, and its rider must be Jesus, because Jesus later rides to victory on a white horse. That's in Revelation 19, 11, if you want to mark that. But because the other three horses relate to judgment and destruction, this rider on a white horse would most likely not be Jesus. Okay, so get Get that in your head. Four horses and horse riders that are not Jesus. The four are part of the unfolding judgment of God, and it would be premature for Jesus to ride forth as the conqueror. The other horses represent kinds of judgment. Okay, these are what they represent. Red for warfare and bloodshed, black for famine, and pale green for death. Oh, that's pretty graphic. The high prices of wheat and barley illustrate famine conditions, but the the worst is yet to come. Okay, now verse four, it says, complete peace will only come when Jesus returns. The picture and revelation of the coming persecution and natural disasters, yes, it's gloomy, but ultimately a cause for great joy. When believers see these events happening, they will know that their Messiah's return is coming soon, and they can look forward to his reign and justice. Rather than being terrified by what is happening in our world, we should confidently await Jesus' return to bring justice and restoration to his people. Now, I read that from footnotes of a Bible I have, but you know what? I have felt that. I have felt this anticipation, and I've told Sean, yes, I want to see my my grandchildren born. But I'm I'm just like come now Jesus. Like as you see some of these things unfold, they don't bring me fear, they bring me excitement. Now, they bring people and we'll look in a minute those who said let the rocks fall on us because they didn't repent. Of course that's going to make people who aren't in right a right place with Jesus scared. Okay, verse 8. It is not clear whether the grave on the separate was on a separate horse than death or merely rode along with death. But the riders described in verses two through eight are commonly referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Okay, some of you have been waiting for this, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Let's talk about that. The four riders are given over one-fourth of the earth, indicating that God is still limiting his judgment. It is not yet complete. With these judgments, there is still time for unbelievers to turn to Jesus and away from their sin. In this case, the limited punishment not only demonstrates God's wrath on sin, but also his merciful love in giving people another opportunity. So remember in, I think it was week one, I talked about it's his imminent return, it's coming, but the tension is that his coming, his coming soon, him wanting to come soon to rescue us from this crazy world, that is coupled with his patience, his enduring patience, eminent return, enduring patience. He wants everyone who possibly could change their mind to follow him so that he can gather all these people. And, and if people would turn to him, he'd come quicker. Probably the reason it has been put off is because we have free will and so many deny him. So many deny him even more, the more proof they have and the more that it comes out or pressure is there, they should follow Jesus. Six, 
Verse nine, this is on the fifth seal. The altar represents the altar of sacrifice in the temple where animals were sacrificed to atone for sins instead of the animal's blood at the base of the altar. John saw the souls of the martyrs who have died for preaching the good news. And there's people dying in other countries still today. There was a mass bloodshed uh, after Jesus you know, was on earth, but there's been the crusades, which they thought they were doing it for the right reasons. There's been, uh, I mean, the attacks on the Twin Towers, those are people who think that they're getting rid of people for the right reason. And those are basically, um, some could be considered martyrs. Now, some that are like, okay, do you, like the girl um, in the shooting in Colorado, do you believe in Christ? Yes, she's shot in the school shooting in Columbine. Epitome of martyr. But there's others that there's been bloodshed over uh, division and evil uh, on our earth. And that's what verse uh, 9 is talking about, is that there is the blood at the altar of those who died. Uh, verse 10 says, the martyrs call out to God, how long will it be before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done for us? That's human nature. We want revenge. As we see the world's wickedness, we too, we cry out to God. How many of us are like God? Literally, like come back. Like we're ready. And then these people are going more crazy. But in the following chapters, the judgment does come at last and we'll see how it will turn about. We may be distressed and impatient, but God has his plan and his timing. We must learn to plan and to trust him and to know that that what he has is best. Judgment is coming, be sure of that. Uh, but he is that one who has patient endurance because he wants more to come to him. So the sixth seal uh, changes the scene back to the physical wor world. The first five judgments were directed towards specific areas, but this judgment, the sixth one, is universal. Everyone will be afraid when the earth itself trembles. At the sight of God sitting on the throne, verse 15 and 17, all human beings, great and small, will be terrified, calling for the mountains to fall on them so they will not have to face the judgment of the Lamb. Notice now it's switched from military conqueror to there is an understanding this Lamb all caps, this lamb, Jesus, is going to bring judgment. So he was humble, he died, yes, but he has all the power. This vivid picture was not intended to frighten believers. For them, the lamb is a gentle savior. But those kings, rulers, and generals, and other powerful people who previously showed no fear of God and arrogantly flaunted their unbelief will find that they were wrong in that day. Um, when they face God's wrath. No one who has rejected God can survive the day of his wrath, but those who belong to Jesus will receive a reward rather than punishment. Okay, I don't know if you noticed, I've been hiding the comments, but there's a post that's gone out. Um, I'm trying to think of which one it was. It was about Good Friday, and there was a post that we put out about Easter, and we had some people who, because we're getting more people seeing us from all over the country, and there, I've, there's been pictures and memes and words put up underneath our posts about Easter and Good Friday and how much it made us fall more in love with Jesus to experience our Good Friday experience, and I'm shocked. Like, it makes me shudder and I never use that word. It makes me shudder when I see the memes that some people post about there is no such thing as Jesus or Jesus is. There was one, it was Jesus flipping somebody off. It was, um, I mean, just hateful towards him. And I, when I read this, I know it's those who are not super obstinate to Jesus. They're just like, I don't need him. I'm smarter than him. I'll go read the stars, my horoscope. I'll go. And they, and they don't think that they're being, um, they're being, 
you know, totally obstinate to God. They're just finding their other way. They won't also be a part of, of salvation through Jesus. But then there's those who are like, Jesus is a farce and says all of this blasphemous, nasty stuff. And that's what I picture when, when it says in that last verse of chapter six, that people will be crying. They'll be hiding in mountains and caves, fall on us and hide us. Of course, some people now are going to be in houses going, I don't like what they think is that they're going to be tortured. They're not going to be tortured. They're going to be killed anyway. <laughs> um, but they're thinking I've done so wrong and I was so wrong and he is so true and right here in my face that I'm scared to death. I just want to die. All right. Lastly, because we're at 1239. So lastly, I'm going to go through uh, chapter seven. I'm not going to read all of it verbatim. I'm going to point out um, the first part of it, verse one. So chapter seven, verse one. Then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, pulling back, holding back the four winds. So they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea. Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God? 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. And then it lists those tribes of Israel I talked about earlier in this. These are the tribes of Israel. Okay, so there were 12,000 from each of those. But let me help you understand what this is talking about because you see the seal of God. You've heard about the mark of the beast. So let me clarify this. In verse 3, it says God's seal is placed on their heads, but it's placed on the foreheads of his servants. This seal is the exact opposite of the mark of the, of the beast. Uh, the mark of the beast is explained in chapter 13, which we'll get to later in our study in the weeks to come. But these two marks place the people in two distinct categories, the ones owned by God and the ones owned by Satan. Now you could say, but there's only 144,000. And I know that there are, uh, you know, there's religions like the Mormons say, well, you got to be a part of the 144,000. I think it's the Mormons. I know Jehovah, Wit um, that's the same. No, Jehovah Witnesses. Um, same thing. Uh, the, oh, who's the other one? Seventh-day Adventist. Um, so these are religions that there's 144,000 that they read this and think only that many are going to go. But here's the reality. It immediately unpacks 12,000 from every tribe. If I live in America and I'm a Mormon, how do I know I'm one of the 12,000? I'm probably not. Or I guess they assume that it traces back. So that is just faulty thinking. I want to I wanna explain verse 4 through 8 where it lists the tribes. The number 144,000 is 12 by 12 by 1,000, symbolizing completeness. All God's followers will be brought safely to him. Not one will be overlooked or forgotten. God seals these believers either by withdrawing from them from the earth, uh, which this is called the rapture, you've heard the rapture, or by giving the special strength and courage to make it through this time of persecution. Even though many believers have to undergo persecution, the seal does not necessarily guarantee protection from physical harm. Many will die, but God will protect them from spiritual harm, meaning if they have the seal of God on them in the end times, and they they are they may still die of, of being martyred, of being murdered, but spiritually, 
uh, no matter what happens, they will be brought to their reward of eternal life. Their destiny is secure. These believers will not fall away from God, even though they may undergo intense persecution. This is not saying that 144,000 individuals must be sealed before the persecution comes, but that when persecution begins, the faithful will have already been sealed or marked by God, and they will remain true to him until the end. Now, listen to this. This is different a different list from the usual listings of the 12 tribes in the Old Testament because it is a symbolic list of God's true followers. Judah is mentioned first because Judah is both the tribe of Judah of David and the and Jesus the Messiah. Levi had no tribal allotment because of the Levites and their work. They were the priests. They were never given a, a plot of land, but they actually are listed here. So this is different than the Old Testament listing you usually see. Um, here the tribe of Levi, though, is given a place as a reward of faithfulness. Dan is not mentioned because it was known for rebellion and idolatry, traits unacceptable for God's followers. The two tribes representing Joseph, remember I said that Joseph didn't have land allotted called Joseph. They're usually called Ephraim and Manasseh after Joseph's sons. I talked about that earlier. And here are called Joseph and Manasseh because of Ephraim's rebellion. Okay, so what this is saying is that this is symbolizing for us, not that you have to be from the tribe of Judah and there's 12,000, but symbolizing the way in which they conducted themselves and followed Jesus gives them access to eternal life. The tribes left off the list is showing us that rebellion leads to not being um, sealed with God's seal. Now, it, does that mean like there's the mark of the beast? We've heard Bill Gates talking about that, um, that, and we also are a little nervous during the pandemic about our cell phones being tracked and traced because is that the, the first step to having all of us marked? Uh, I don't know. It's possible. I don't know. I can't say. I will tell you it unnerves uh, Sean and I for sure because this is probably the closest thing where we could see people saying this has to be done. Like we here's what I'd say about the pandemic. The pandemic has gotten us to a point where we feel like in order to go back to normal, we have to do certain things. Now, there's a lot of things we're doing that are not. Um that if we didn't do them, it would be legal and we'd be arrested. But we are, I think they've been able to see that whether this is the government or the enemy through this, that we are willing to do what we're told. Okay, that's good. We're willing to be lawful. We're willing to be wise. What I have seen through the pandemic is that uh, we want to get back to normal so if that means I have to get a vaccine, I have to get a mark, I have to get a barcode that says I was tested and I'm clear or I was tested and I'm immune, like how do you keep track of that? All of this could lead to it all makes sense. Why wouldn't we just do what makes sense? Why wouldn't we do it for the greater good of the people? Now, I believe, and so does Sean, that we're not going to be confused. Like, God wouldn't allow us to be tricked into something and then say, you're out, you're going to hell because you got tricked. It will be more obvious than a vaccine uh, that accidentally, you know, we got a vaccine and it put dye in us that is a mark of the beast. That's, that's, God never said, watch out, you'll be tricked to getting the mark of the beast. Even when he's talking about in the last days, those who could be martyred, um, 
it's going to be clear they're martyred. It's not like we're don't think that and I've not heard this myself, but I don't follow conspiracy theorists. But don't think that uh, those who have died of Corona in the US and worldwide, they're the martyrs. Like, don't read that much into it. Martyrs will know they're martyrs. People who get the mark of the beast will know they're getting the mark of the beast. None of us need to be fearful or worried. Like, will it accidentally happen? I'm going to open this up for questions now. And uh, the only last thing I want to say about the end of uh, those chapters is we, we notice he didn't open every seal. And that's because the, the end has not come. And I also want to make clear that what John sees, or I'm sorry, what John hears in his, in, in his head is through his context. So he hears through the tribes uh, he hears through the mindset of there's Judah. Like right now, we would use the words like Trump or um, we would use the, the names of leaders and governors, Cuomo. We'd start using those because that's our context of what's going on right now. So when he was using Judah and Manasseh and Dan and he's using these tribe names, again, it's through his context and it related to the Jewish people, but it also made sense that, oh, those were good tribes. Those were bad tribes. So they're not listed. So I don't want you to think um, that we can, that we shouldn't put this in our context because uh, it's not like just those people are going to go to heaven. In fact, it's going to be a multi-ethnic army of people who in the next few chapters that we get into, chapters 7, um, well, we're going to be in chapters 8 through 14 next week. And in those, when it's talking about uh, the the army that will rise up to be with Jesus, it's really not talking like we're going to have swords. It's we're going to be an army who is humble and acts like Jesus does and did, humble and servant and through love. We will change people's minds. Uh, and that's going to be a multi-ethnic uh, army, not a bunch of guys that look like they're off the movie 300 or they're from a certain country. It will be, all of us will be considered that army. And so I gave you a little heads up for what we're reading in chapters eight through 14 for next week, but hopefully that will help as you read about armies. Thanks for joining me today. For more great content like this, check out Cheery Conversations, available on all podcast platforms. You can also go to SunnyHennessy.com to connect with me and find out all the things going on in my head at all times. See you next week.